It's been great. I just have been just so impressed just seeing young ones being so touched by the Lord over two days. It's been quite heart moving to see them weeping as Jesus touched them and they felt him love them. As uh, You know, we don't have to wait till people grow up. They're ruined by the time they grow up. We need to start when they're very young. That's why we put a lot of, a lot of effort into uh, children's ministries. And uh, you see, someone is going to write on the child's heart. You've just got to decide who's going to write it and what they're going to write. And you and I can choose to write into our children's heart a love for and a taste for and a hunger for the things of God and the ways of God and shape them towards their destiny. That's one of the greatest things we can do. And as a church, we do that. We want to do that for the next generation. The next generation are not just little ones. The next generation is every person that stands up and said, I'll say yes to Jesus in my day. You're the next generation. No, you don't have to wait till you, no matter what age we are, we can still be the next generation. But there's a particular blessing that needs to be imparted to the younger ones that are emerging because they face challenges we've never faced and they need us to help prepare them to carry the baton and run the race. Amen? Yes. Fantastic. Hey, we're, we're going to take up our offering now and I think Sophie's going to help us with our offering. Where's Sophie? She, there she is. Come on, let's give her a clap. Good morning, church. You know, I'm just so excited about what God's doing. I, like, I can't in my heart. I'm just so grateful for what God has done and what he's doing and how much he's given us. I can't but help but just want to give back to God, but not just a small portion, but back in abundance. I want to be an extravagant giver, something that just costs me something. You know, I love that story in um, 2 Samuel 6 about David, where it says that David and the whole house of Israel um, sang and shout praises and, and with trumpets and danced with all their might before the Lord. I just love that. Not only is it really weird for a king, I think, to dance in front of um, commoners, but he didn't care. David didn't care. He danced with all his might. He sang with all his might for the Lord because he wanted to do it for the Lord. So why don't we, as the um, ushers come around with the bags, we'll just um, stand and sing a song to our King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who was, who is, and is to come because of who he is and what he's done in our life. Yes, Lord. Precious Jesus. Yes, Lord. King of kings, Lord of lords, you are worthy.
Bible. Thank you. Hallelujah. Awesome. <laughs> Amen. Please be seated. Amen. Just a couple of things. Uh, firstly, here's a good one. Family fun and fireworks. I'm just looking at all the stuff they got on next week. Don't forget to come along. You're going to enjoy. We had an awesome time last time. And uh, they got a bungee run. How many have been in the bungee run before? Uh, we got a, so we've got the bungee thing all ready to go. And then they've got a rock'em and sock'em. I've got no idea what that is. And they've got a messy go round, or merry go round, and a live music. So they've got live music. It'll be awesome. Fireworks, bouncy castle. Oh man, I've got to get that bouncy castle. Sausage scissor. Man, the last time we had was just an awesome time. So come along, bring a friend. It's just one of those great family events, and uh, we want to really enjoy it, have a great time together. What a great joy to uh, celebrate. Michelle and Ian have announced their engagement this week. So congratulations. Stand up, the Gamu clap. <laughs> Come on. There you go. She's got a beautiful prince, beautiful princess cut ring. So go and have a look at that afterwards. It'll be fantastic. Ah, great stuff. Well, we're going to we were going to hear from uh, Doug and uh, about missions and what they've done in the Philippines. But just in the interest of time, I'm going to put it to next week. So if you're coming along, expecting to hear that this week, come along next week. You'll hear it next week. See some pictures and uh, a number of things. I wanted to just share, just pick up where we were last week, and uh, just begin to just share something with us to get a hold of in this coming season we're in. And uh, we were talking last week about a verse out of uh, Joshua chapter three, verse five, where it says, "Sanctify yourselves." Sanctify or prepare yourselves or prepare your heart for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you or in your midst. And so we were just uh, sharing with you how I felt the Spirit of God speak to me that if we would just begin to prepare ourselves, we can expect to see greater level of things happening in our lives as we come into the coming year. And uh, I know that uh, we've got a busy season of Christmas coming up. I want to talk with some of you about that. Uh, there are some who are very wise during the Christmas season. Others just really lose the plot. And so we want to help those who lose the plot. But in this uh, month leading up to it, what I want us to do is to be setting our heart individually to begin to open our lives for God to move afresh in the coming year. You are doing today what prepares your tomorrow. You're reaping today what you did yesterday. And so if we want to enlarge our future... If we want to respond to what God is doing and saying to us, we need to do something in our life now. We had a prophet came in, Dave McCracken. One of the things he said which impacted me very deeply, as individuals are willing to make changes and grow, then everything will grow. The whole church will grow. So the challenge is for us individually to begin to grow. And so last week we talked about fasting on purpose, and I gave you some keys on how to fast and some uh, examples in the Bible of people got breakthroughs. So what are you going to fast off? How many people have started already? Oh, that's fantastic. Man, I'm into it, and I'm pumped and alive. Got over my first three days hangover without food, and now I'm really high on the Holy Ghost. So it's fantastic. But we were talking about some things to, uh, to fast off, fast off food, but one of the things I mentioned I'm going to pick up today is fasting off negativity. How many tried to do that? I had someone been a believer for years, a really, I'm not going to say who they are, but they said they tried, and after about three days, they nearly exploded. <laughs> you cannot believe how negative we can get and how negativity affects us. So we're going to talk about that today. I want to share some things uh, about it with you. So why don't we just get into the Word of God, 
want to open up just a few things and encourage us. Let's have a look in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse... Ephesians 4 and verse 29. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. So things that I, I encourage you to just begin to, to fast off or to begin to confront. Every one of us got our own little giants. How many know they've got a giant, something that's pushing you down, holding you back? How many can recognize at least one that's doing that right now? Okay then, so for some of you it might be passivity, you just sort of shut down. That's a giant that holds you down so you're passive, you can't even begin to express or enjoy life. And that's not, it's, not, it's a spirit that gets around our life and we have to actually break out of the habit pattern of being passive sort of people. But uh, there's other kinds of things. Some of us may be intimidated. We have something that scares us. And when you're intimidated, your gifts won't flow. So you, don't, you can't be all you're called to be if you live under the bondage of fear and are in agreement with the spirit of fear. And, uh, but I want to look at this area of negativity, where our mind, our thoughts, our heart, and particularly our mouth talks negative stuff. And let's just start off with this verse here uh, in Ephesians 4, 29 and verse 30. And it says, let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. So how much room does it have for corrupt words or negative words? Let none. So why don't you circle none? Don't let any. Zip your lip to negative talk. See, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. See, it doesn't mean stop talking. That would be just too much to ask. Eh? But rather... Speak words that will build up people or speak words that are good to edify. Now, words you speak are going to do something to you and to the people around you. I'm going to talk a little bit about that further in a moment. But words have, a, have an ability to shape what's around us in the atmosphere and shape the relationships. In fact, words have the power to shape the world you live in. Think about that. So the Bible says, put a stop to negative talk. And rather, practice and make it a habit to speak words that will actually edify and build up the world and the environment around you. Say, speak words. And then it goes on an interesting thing. It says that it will minister grace or impart empowerment. You see, you can empower people through words you speak or you can cut them down. You can lift them up or you can put them down. You can cause them to live or you can cause them to wither and die. Words have the power to change lives. And notice that I had straight after that, it says, having exhorted us, don't let your mouth be full of negative talk, but rather practice and make it a habit, a lifestyle of speaking words that build. Then it goes on to begin to say, and don't grieve the Holy Ghost. So it tells us very clearly that negative words are associated with grieving the Holy Ghost. And if you grieve the Holy Ghost, that means you make him sad, you cause him to withdraw. You cause him to grieve and feel burdened about you. How can you be empowered to live a powerful, strong life if the one who's given to help you live that life, you're hurting him and grieving him and making him sad all the time? I really encourage us to have a fast off negative words. Because the very fact that you start fasting in that area, fast off food too, that'll get the negative words up to the surface much quicker. So fast off food, you know, when you fast off food, you can't believe how negative you get. You know, you just have these feelings that come over you and they want to express. We're sharing with the kids at camp how whatever's in you is going to find a way out of you. Firstly, on your face. 
Huh? See? Secondly, through your words, and finally, the things you do. So we were talking to the kids about getting filled with the Holy Ghost so that certain things come out of our life. We talk about some things that will come out of your life. So when you get in a fast, whatever's in there is going to come up and start to come out of your life and manifest. So don't worry if when you fast, your problems appear to get really bad. Seems like they took on a life of their own, flared up and got out of control. That's perfectly normal. How many have found that? Know what I'm talking about here. You fasted to break the power of something in your life, and the moment you started fasting, it just suddenly got very, very bad. It got worse. It's because now you've made a decision to war with it. It rises up to, to see how determined you are. See, sin has a life of its own. So the Bible tells us there not to grieve the Holy Ghost, not to cause Him to withdraw, not to cause Him to be shut down. I want to talk with you a little bit about the power that is in your words. I want to make a statement that I felt the Holy Ghost put on my heart today. I'll read it so I get it right. The words we agree with and the words we speak create our future. That's powerful, isn't it? I'm still thinking about that one. The words we agree with and the words we speak create our future. Think about that. What words are you agreeing with? What words has your heart come into agreement and embraced and said, I believe that? Very soon you will be speaking those words and the words that you have agreed with in your heart and spoken with your mouth then begin to shape your future and your destiny. Man, if you just got that, but you'd be doing well, wouldn't you? I'm still thinking about that. The words we agree with and the words we speak shape our future. So our words have got tremendous power. Your words reveal who you are. If I want, you see, you can put on an act, you can do all kinds of things, but if after a little while of listening, your words will show who you are, what kind of person you are. See, if we could just follow you around here, everything you were saying, you know what? We'd know exactly what kind of person you are. See, because your words come out of your heart. So the Bible tells us the words are the overflow of our heart. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 tells us, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever's in your heart, whatever is you, see, whatever's in your heart will overflow and come out your mouth. And so all you've got to do is catch yourself, what am I saying? And then you'll find out exactly what really is in your heart. So I know we come to church and we sing happy songs and we love Jesus. And that's a wonderful feel and all that kind of stuff. And it's beautiful. We feel the presence of God. But we've got often in that kind of situation unaware what is really in our heart. But if we listen to our words, after a while, we'll begin to see what is in our heart. you just got to listen. And out of the heart, the mouth will speak. Listen to the words. Now, when you're listening to words, it's not just what they say. It's the impact or the feel they create with the words. You see, Jesus said, the words I speak, they are spirit and they are life. So when Jesus speaks words, they impart something of a spirit nature. That's why the first words it's recorded, God spoke, created something. So words can create something. So whatever's in your heart is creating something. So for example, if you're constantly critical of your husband or constantly critical of your wife, constantly speaking and giving voice to negative things, you are creating a very sad marriage. You're actually creating the future you then have to live in. Think about that. 
Your words are creating an atmosphere and environment which will either sustain your life and nourish you or will cause you to wither like a plant without water. Words. People want words. We need words. Even Jesus said, Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone. In other words, food's not enough to sustain us. Our soul needs words. Words that love, words that encourage, words that build, words prophetic that speak destiny. There's a generation dying because there are no fathers to speak words of encouragement, love, and faith, and destiny. And without those words, people get lost. They don't know where to go. They're, they're looking for something. So they look in the bottle. They look in drugs. They look in the cell phone. Look on the internet. Look with games. Look with high-speed cars. They're looking for something. But what is needed are creative words to shape a destiny. You and I have got a unique ability to be able to create with our mouth. Not only in our own life, but in the lives of others. Whoa. See, so whatever words you agree with, whatever you're speaking, is creating a world around you. Eh? So what kind of atmosphere are you creating? You know, you go into some people's places, and they make you welcome, and you feel, you know, but you go and you feel, man, what's in this place? Feel the atmosphere. And that atmosphere is actually spiritual atmosphere created by the words you speak. So either you've invited the Holy Spirit and the angels of God into your house and the words you speak are cultivating that atmosphere or you've invited demons into the house and now they're causing all kinds of other things. Now, I was just thinking about words and sometimes, you know, we, we, we kind of mentally agree with this, but I, I started to look in the Bible for some word pictures of what words are like. And I got some beauties. I started to look and search through the Bible and find out some pictures. Now, sometimes when you hear words spoken, they, it, the impact doesn't fully, you don't fully appreciate it. But when you get a picture, I only wish I'd had the time to get some pictures of this. Because I've got the pictures up, you'd be stunned enough to actually really have huge impact. So you can, but I'll try and describe it to you. So, and I'll give you some scripture references, but I, I don't want us to spend a lot of time just looking up the verses. I'll give you the reference and what it says. But what I want you to do is get the picture it creates, see, so that you begin to start to be aware, my words are the overflow of my heart and they are creating something. See, how do I get into a relationship with God? Words. How, do you, how did you get married? Words. It's true. Words established a covenant. When those words were witnessed and it was written down, the words you spoke that's it. It's a binding covenant. See, words on earth are listened to in the heavens. You speak cursing words, demons are just waiting, and they become empowered to begin to operate. So you can speak words into your own life. You can agree with words about your own life, and that way, as you begin to give voice to them, that will cause demons to operate against you. You can, give, you, can give, agree, you can agree with the words other people speak, and then when you agree with them and begin to repeat them, then what happens then are demons are unleashed. See, agreement on the earth and then giving voice to what we've agreed with activates things in the supernatural realm. We have to understand the importance of that. And of course, as you begin to realize this you begin, and start to fast, to break negative words and to tame the tongue. The Bible says no man can tame it. Only the Holy Ghost can tame your tongue. 
The first part of taming the tongue is to realize what it's saying. So I want to give you some pictures, some word pictures of what the tongue is likened to or what our words are likened to. And I'm going to give you about six different word pictures. I'll show you where they're found in the Bible, but I want you to get the picture of it because as you get the picture of it, you begin to think, my God, are my words like that? This sweet person sitting there, and you look so nice, and we all look lovely. You've got our hands raised to Jesus today, and then tomorrow something else is coming out of our tongue. See? And the Bible says it shouldn't be like that. You know, today you're blessing God, and tomorrow you're cursing someone near to you that you're supposed to be loving. Come on now. I want to give you some word pictures. These are good ones I found. In the, <laughs> these are really, man, I was shocked. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 17. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 17, it says and talking about certain kinds of people, and it says, their word eats like a cancer. Or, if you look up the original, it means like gangrene. I don't even seen gangrene. Gangrene is where the flesh has actually died, and not only it died, it started to turn green and give a horrible smell off. And it not only does that, it begins to poison the body. So if a person gets gangrene in them, if they get gangrene in them, then what happens is you've got to amputate that limb. There isn't any remedy. The, the flesh is actually dying and it's starting to turn septic. And if you don't deal with it, it begins to poison the whole body. And you know when a person's got gangrene, death is imminent. When there's gangrene, death is imminent. On the, in the medical field, and I don't know a lot about it, but if they see gangrene... All the emergency bells go off. You're into that operating theater right quick. Because it will poison the whole system. You can't have gangrene in one bit. It gets in and affects the whole lot. So it says their words. It's talking about certain words eating your whole life away like a gangrene would eat a limb away and poison the whole body. Gangrene. Ask someone, you got gangrenous words? Cancer, see the word cancer, use words like a king. It's like it eats away, like a worm eating away. Now think about that. That's a horrible picture. I don't like the smell of that. I go, oh, I don't want to have cancer. I'm getting you to go with a couple of words. Here's another word. Here's another one found in James chapter 3, verse 8. James chapter 3, verse 8. Just read the verse there. And it talks about uh, words or the tongue. Yeah? Here it is. No man can tame the tongue, for it is unruly or uncontrollable evil, full of deadly poison. Now, that word poison there actually has two meanings to it. So we're going to give you both meanings. And you notice what it says. It says deadly. That means it carries death. The tongue can carry death. Now imagine just carrying around. You've got a little bag around in you, and you've got something to give to people. Here it is. Some people got a little bag of it. Some people got a huge bag of it. But there they're carrying it around. And you know what it is? That word deadly means death-bearing. They are carrying around death, ready to give it to someone. And the word poison has two meanings. Number one, it means rust. It means literally rust. I don't know any of you know about rust. Now, men know about rust. Get it in your car, it's a big problem. In fact, uh, rust, you know, you get it in your car and it starts off as a little bit and then it begins to spread and it, it, it starts off like a little wee little bit on the surface, and then it begins to eat in. Finally, it's eaten the metal out. Then it begins to spread out. So you kind of cover it up and patch it up, but it breaks out again. So you cover it again and patch it up, breaks out again, put some paint over it. But in the end, if there's rust there, it always comes through the paint. 
It, no matter how good the car looks, the rust always comes through the paint. So no matter how sweet you dress yourself up, no matter how good we look on the outside, if we've got bitterness and negativity and in our heart, it's a rust that eventually shows through that fine paintwork of yours. You go along and test a new car, if you want to buy, buy a second-hand car, you go along and test the thing you want to look for is rust. Some cars in England, they, they, put, they put salt on the road with a lot of snow, and of course the car gets the salt under it and just eats the thing out. And you've got this fine-looking car, but underneath she's all eaten out. It's actually not fit for the road. So you take your car down. One of the things I'll put a car off the road for is rust. Okay? So you get your car down, you take your car down there, and it looks fine. Starts up, got a lovely stereo pumping, looks nice, everything's painted up, looks good. Take it down there, and then they cancel the warrant. There's no new warrant being uh, uh, given to you. And you say, well, why, why, why did I get a new warrant? Look at the stereo. Look at the car seat. Look at the cover. Look at the paint on it. It's brilliant. They said it's got rust underneath in the chassis. So it's not roadworthy. How about a Christian being not roadworthy? Called on a great mission, but no warrant of fitness. Got no warrant of fitness? What happens? You leave your car parked out in the road, no warrant of fitness? Come on. And don't tell me you don't know. There wouldn't be many of us haven't had that one time. No warrant of fitness? They give you a fine. You should not be on the road. You're not even allowed to park it on the road. They, when you haven't got a warrant of fitness, it's a crime even to have it out on the road. Imagine Christians being without a warrant of fitness out on the road trying to extend the kingdom of God. Trouble is, their chassis is full of rust. Negative talks spewing out, criticize the boss, talking negatively about this, negatively about that. They're on about every kind of thing. Listen, that is not roadworthy. You can't accomplish anything with that kind of rust working in your life. You've got to get it out. You've got to cut the rust out, get the thing strengthened. Sometimes you've got to actually cut it all out, put in some whole new beam in there. Here's another meaning of that word. It means deadly poison. It means a venom. So it means two words. So we've got to say it's a cancer or gangrene or it's a rust or it's a, these are good words, aren't they? The Bible's actually got quite good descriptive words about our tongue. What's coming out of our heart? Imagine carrying around a big bag of deadly poisons, eh? And you're about ready to impart it to someone. You've got to not only deal with it in our own lives, but what we need to do is recognize when it's operating in someone else and take preventative action. Okay then, so the next is venom. Now I looked up on venom and venom, so it's, it's the poison. So when a snake bites you, then it gets, a venomous snake is a snake that's got poison. When it bites you, sometimes the bite itself is not a real problem, just a couple of punctures, but it's the venom that gets in you. And that word there, the tongue, the tongue is a deadly poison, means the tongue is a deadly venom. And, the, and when, when a snake bites you and there's venom in you, there's two kinds of different responses you have, depending on the type of snake that bit you. One of them is the venom paralyzes the nervous system slowly so you can't, you can't actually breathe. Your, your system, in the end, you actually suffocate because your whole nervous system shuts down. Nervous system is that, is that part of us that causes us to be sensitive and aware to directions from the head. So when you have got a deadly poison working inside you, you can't actually respond to what God's saying properly at all. You're paralyzed. Death is imminent. The other kind of venom produces gangrene in a person's life. 
So when a person gets bitten, what happens is the flesh begins to die all around the bite and it keeps on and on and on. And if it's not cut out, they die. Whoa! That's the tongue. Has anyone not got a tongue? All got a tongue. Okay, the thing that differs is what we're using the tongue for. See, what are you using your tongue for? You're building consciously, taking dominion over it and using it to build, or does it just, you lose control of it. Suddenly you find you've blabbed out, you can't get those words back once they're gone out there. They're already out there doing their work. It's real hard to get them back. And after you've blabbed off your mouth, you can't seem to get the words back. Even if you're going to say sorry, you can't get it back. Because it's still done its work. It's still hurt someone. And saying sorry, recognize takes responsibility for the words, but it doesn't heal. Persons then got, they've been bitten by venom. And so, so I thought, this guy, here's another, James 3 verse 6. It says, the tongue is a fire. Now, I'm just looking at that stuff up in California, and they think someone may have lit it. But anyway, whatever it is, this whole house is burning down because of a fire. They, they couldn't control. That is what tells about the tongue. Look at the tongue. Verse 5. The tongue is a little member, very, very small. Now, some have got a bigger tongue than others. But it boasts great things, and see how great a forest a little fire starts. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. It's set among our members, and it defiles the whole body. It sets on fire the wheel of nature, and is set on fire by hell itself. Whoa, ho, ho, whoa. So hell, now we find that hell has got a gate. At least one of them, I know what the gate is. Have a look in the mirror, and it's found just here. That's where hell gets to work. Straight from our heart out our mouth is one of the gates of hell. Jesus said the church that he's building will prevail against the gates of hell. So we've got to learn to use our mouth to build words that, to have words that build. And to do that, we've got to get to sort through the issues of the thing of the heart. I'll give you a couple more. In, in Psalm 64 and verse 7, it calls the tongue, it says the tongue fires out arrows. Ooh. Imagine, imagine the, suppose you uh, went down and you have a look there and you see that you, you come out to a field there and you notice there's a whole lot of people and they're practicing archery and they've got their bow, fine set of arrows and they've got this compound bow and they're just launching the arrows. Man, it's great. It's great if you stand behind the people who are shooting. It's not so nice if you're out the front and you're the target. And if you're the target and they hit you with one of those arrows, you will hurt and the Bible says there is that speaks like the piercings, or it goes, there's woundings that go deep down into people. Gossip wounds people. It's like an arrow got in them, and it goes right into the core of their being, and it begins to work away on the inside, like, like a snake, actually. Right? So, so you don't want to be in front of someone shooting. So if people are talking to you, and they've got poison in their mouth, and they're talking negatives, shut it down. Don't let them keep talking arrows because some of them are going to get in there and once you agree with them, you'll find they'll start to grow in you and then you're talking the same stuff. Whoa, what are we coming into agreement with? What are we listening to? What are we welcoming into our inner world that then is beginning to express through the outer world of our language and words? Proverbs 18 verse 18 says, there are, it describes the, uh, the, uh, the tongue uh, as causing wounds. The, the, the words of a talebearer are like wounds. They go right down into the innermost parts. 
That word wound, again, is just the same kind of thing. Imagine that. So that's a whole heap of descriptions of words. Now, I wonder if anyone... Now, of course, we won't just make it personal. We'll just keep it away from you because you might feel uncomfortable for the moment. But I wonder if anyone have you ever been exposed or could think of someone, and as you were, as you were listening to them talk, their words are like a deadly poison. It affects people. How many have been in homes being ripped apart by words? How many of you have been there, and it's, it's like a rust, you know what I'm talking about, I talk about rust, you're just eating the thing out. You've seen whole families eaten out by bitterness, fighting. It always is expressed through words, always through words. So words have tremendous power. That's why the Bible gives us these pictures of things that we can recognize, so we'll hate it. If you saw a snake, I know you'd jump out of the way. But if you see someone or hear someone talking and they've got bitterness in their heart, you need to do something. A serpent is about to bite you. And how does it bite you? First, you've got to agree with what's being said. You've got to listen and agree with what's being said. And once you agree with what's being said, those words then begin to find a place in you to grow as a wound, a sore, rust, a fire, cancer, whatever, and then they will find expression through you and will begin to start to impact others. Let me just give you, I won't, we won't look them up just in the interest of time, uh, but let me just give you some examples in the Bible of this kind of thing. First of all, agreeing with words. Now, there are lots of ways we can agree with words. Numbers chapter 13 and 14 tells us in Numbers chapter 13 that 12 people went into the uh, promised land and God showed them some wonderful things. God showed them many, many wonderful things. But what happened was 10 of them came back, and they came back, and what was in their heart was negativity, and it flowed out. And they began to say things, we can't do it. We can't. It's too hard. There's a chance to pick the walls. Yeah, I know God's good, but this is too big for him even. And this is what God said. The very words you spoke determine your future. You won't be able, and you won't enter. See how important it is? He said, God said, I've heard what you spoke, and I agree with you. So it's not going to happen. Isn't that a shocking thing? Whereas Caleb said, our God is mighty. If he is with us, we are well able. Joshua said, I bought word as was in my heart. You see, one group of people looked at the circumstances and doubt and fear and negativity and feeling sorry for them. all of those things arose and they agreed with it. And once they agreed with it, they spoke it and that was their destiny. Joshua and Caleb, the Bible says, they, they agreed with the Lord. He said, I bought word as was in my heart. What was in his heart? Our God is with us. We're well able. See, what gets in your heart is what finds expression through your mouth. Hence, the heart has to be cleansed because that's the source of the trouble with the tongue. You can stop talking, but in the end, you still got stuff in the heart. See, so what are we coming into agreement with? In 2 Samuel chapter 15, there was a guy called Absalom. People listened to him, and he, this is what he was doing. He was running down the king and, and promoting himself, and the people who agreed with him then followed him, and then their lives were destroyed. It's really important what you're agreeing with. Are we agreeing with what God says about us? Listen, it, it, you may have rejection. Rejection has a voice. You, you may have fear. Fear has a voice. You, you may have shame or self-pity. These things have a voice. 
If you hear those voices speaking and agree with them, you will come into alignment, start to speak it. Oh, I can't do anything. Oh, there's not much love around here. Nobody loves me. See, I've come into agreement. Now I'm speaking. And you know what? It's true. I'll have all of those things. It's true. Because I've agreed in my heart and started to echo it and speak these things. See, demons, when they get into a person's life, first of all, speak to you. Listen, Eve came into agreement with the devil's words and then began to speak them. And then that's when the problem started. It defined her destiny. She let the devil, let his words come into her heart. Once the words got in and she agreed with them and gave voice to them, then her destiny was described. What you agree with and begin to speak will shape and create your future. It's really important. I don't know who you've been agreeing with or what you've been agreeing with. See, we can be agreeing with negatives that have been spoken into our life. Perhaps someone spoke of it. You're no good. You never amount to anything. Now, if you agree with that, then that will actually begin to reflect through your life and your mouth, and it'll shape your future. We have to break the agreement with the negatives that we've been listening to over the years and begin to start to meditate and come into agreement with what God says and reflect that into our world. Now, the problem is, if our experiences have been real bad, it actually is a shift of faith to abandon the speaking and thinking and begin to start to think and speak like God wants us to think and speak like. But when you start to do it, your experience goes from here and shifts up to here. You've made room for the Word of God and the Spirit of God to move. See, if we begin to say, well, I can't do that, I can't. Someone's spoken over our life. You're dumb. You're stupid. You think you'll never come to anything. Now you see, and you begin to agree with that because you are wounded by it. Very soon, oh, I can't do much. I can't do anything. And so God begins to come into your life, and He talks about your destiny. Oh, I can't do that. See, we're in agreement with the past words spoken. We've got to break the agreement. Now, one of the things that uh, David was preaching and speaking into the church as a prophetic word was that we need to resolve the past and become empowered in the present. Then our future begins to reflect what God has given us. To break the things of the past, I've got to recognize them and break my agreement with them. Sometimes that means I've got to forgive people who've hurt me, but always it means I need to cancel my agreeing with the words and the thoughts and beginning to speak something different. The Bible tells us a whole kind of a lot of words that people speak that create problems. Lying words, flattering words, too many words. Huh? See, empty words. I will maybe share some of those things. But I don't want to just talk about that agreement. Let me just finish with this last thing here, just on this area. Number one, the words we agree with. Number two, the words we speak. Now, let me just give you a second one, and that is Abraham. This is a really good example is Abraham. Abraham's brilliant example. I'll tell you why he's a brilliant example. You know what God said? God said, I want you to look up. See, Abraham, see all the stars? He said, that's what your descendant's going to be like. Have a look down there. See the sand? That's what your descendant's going to be like. And you know what? In order to get this right, I'm going to change your name. And this is what I want you to do. You're not going to be called Abraham. You're going to be called Abraham. So in any time anyone says to you, who are you? You won't say, oh, I'm Abraham and I'm old and my wife's old and we've got no kids. He said, what you'll say is at 90 plus and your wife's 90 plus, he said, you'll begin to declare I'm the father of nations. And every night when you look up at the stars, your heart will begin to be filled with the vision of a multitude. Every day when you rise up and says who, someone says who you are, I'm the father of nations. When you look out and you walk through the desert and see the sand, your heart will be filled with my promise. Day and night, your heart will fill with my promise. 
See, the heavens and the earth will speak my promise to you. Now, we don't have that. We have the Word of God. So God wants us day and night to have His Word come into our heart about who we are and what we're called to do and what we can do and what we can be, and then we need to give voice to it. If someone says, who are you? Oh, well, I'm just an old man. Now listen, I'll tell you who you are. You're a child of God. You're the daughter and son of a king. You're royal family, destined to rule, destined to reign. You have a destiny. Listen, what are you agreeing with? What are you agreeing with? What words are you listening to in your heart that are negative and defeat-filled words? You're reflecting them into your environment and creating that kind of thing. Listen, we need to fast off that stuff. See, fasting is, is not just I'm going to do without. I'm actually going to cancel its power completely. I'm going to deal with this thing at its root. And the root is always in the heart, and it's expressed through the mouth. See, God wants us to come into agreement with Him. Let me just finish one last scripture. I just feel to draw it in right now. The Bible says in Hebrews 3 verse 1, Jesus is the high priest of our confession. And that word confession means speaking the same thing that God is saying about us and about our circumstances. See, so what I need to do is agree with what God says about me and about my family and about my marriage and about my finances and about my world. Because if I agree with Him, I position myself to come up to actually see Him work on my behalf. It says Jesus is the high priest of what? The high priest's role was to go into the presence of God, intercede on behalf of others, and begin to receive blessing and bring it out to the people. So when Jesus goes before the Father, he's got something to go with. It's your ha, 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 confession. And I'm not just talking, talking, confessing about your sins. That's the lowest level of confession. Important, but it's not where, that's the start point. We confess our sins, positions us to be forgiven. Provided I believe Jesus died on the cross for them. But listen, see, God is one to access the realm of the supernatural, so he has to have something to work with. When I come in here, we begin to praise the Lord and thank the Lord, express it. Why do we do that? Because I want Jesus to have something to work with. I got to give him something to work with. I've got to give him something from my heart. Gratitude, praise, confession. I got to begin to declare things. If you notice some of the songs and the songs that help us come into the presence of God, they are declaring things. See, you listen to that song where he said, Lord, Lord, you're my healer. You're my healer. That's, you know, that man positioned himself to get the healing because it was in his heart that God's a healer and he spoke it out of his mouth. In fact, he said, I'm going to write a song about it. Even if I die, long after I've died, they'll still be singing the song, Lord, you're my healer. You're my portion. I just have thought about that for a week or so. What it's like to sit in a chair, your body slowly losing energy, Breaking down, you can't even stand without breaking limbs. No strength, everything's brittle. But in the heart, there's no negativity. There's just, Lord, you're my healer. I believe you're my portion. What a great thing. And he positioned himself. You see, because Jesus is the high priest of that confession. Now, this is what I like about that song. This one man didn't just make a confession of faith and agree with what God said and position himself for the healing. 
he wrote a song that could touch and bring others into it. So the very thing that the devil sent to destroy him becomes not just the stepping stone of his own faith, but actually makes a provision and a blessing for other people to experience God. People are waiting for you to break through. All around you, there's someone waiting for you to break through from negativity. There may be there's some relationships you need to cut off. Listen, not all friendships and relationships help us achieve what God wants. The devil is well able to send people into your life full of negativity who just eat out what God is trying to do and you don't even know it. You've got some sense of false loyalty. You're holding on to those people thinking that this is going to change them. Well, if they haven't changed in three years, what makes you think they're going to change? But what's been happening to you while that negativity has been getting into your ears? Think about it. Fast of negativity. The fast of negativity means I need to recognize, Lord, I need you to show me in my heart where I've embraced negative thoughts, doubts, despair, unbelief, self-pity, reasonings, where I've listened to gossip, listened to rumors, focused on negative things. I want you to show me where the things are. Every time you show me something, I'm repenting, I'm disagreeing with it, I'm, I'm breaking my agreement with that thing, and I'm going to begin to declare the things that you say to me. Start off, give up the news for a while, give up your papers, give up the television. Give up the stuff that's filling you full of despair and hopelessness. Fast off it. Some people can't even begin a day without having to look at the news, see what's happening. I'll tell you what's happening, it's all bad. Well, that's the bit they're reporting on, but actually there's heaps of good stuff, but you didn't hear about that. Hey, you didn't hear about that unless you looked at Shine TV or something like that. You didn't hear about it on most of the main channels. The main channels is concerned with the negativity. It sells. People are absorbing it. There's something in us. We want to see someone else fail and fall so we feel better. How perverse. Hey, God wants us to change on the inside. Come on, let's make a decision in our heart. Listen, the Bible says if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth Christ is Lord, salvation comes to you. If that's how our faith starts, that's how it continues. I believe that God provides for me. I believe that God comes through for me. I let my heart dwell and meditate on His Word until it truly is rooted in my heart. I refuse to agree with the doubts and the negatives. I begin to speak day by day. I believe you're my portion. I believe you are all I need to fulfill my life. I believe as I begin to declare those things, I start to make a way in my life for the Spirit of God to move afresh. Let's close our eyes right now. Father, we just thank you that you are committed to teach, instruct us, and to cancel and break the power of negativity, which rests like a blanket over New Zealand, over so many people in this nation. It shouldn't be here, Lord. We have such a fine nation, such a, a wonderful place to live. And yet, Lord, we confess to you today that we have imbibed to the spirit of the nation negativity and criticism and judgmentalism. Today, we repent of those things and turn from them. And we ask, Lord, you begin to help us and give grace that our heart might be filled with good things. Whatsoever things are good and true and just and lovely and of good report, any virtue, any praise, any good thing, Lord, we give ourselves to think on those things and reflect those things from our life that your spirit might move supernaturally and our lives could have a powerful impact. Father, I ask that for every one of us over these coming, over the coming month, Lord, the whole issue of negativity will begin to be exposed by your spirit and we'll be given grace to repent and change that our words might be words that refresh and build people. 
bless them and speak words that break bondages and bring releases of the power of God. Lord, I just thank you right now. You're going to do it.